Yeah. There's such a legacy fee assum assumption that you need a lot of applicants. And I love to bang the drum that says you e actually need no applicants. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Sargent, and welcome to Stories, Inc. Spotlights. I first met James Ellis when we were both speaking at a conference. His session was so engaging and so thought-provoking that I made it a point to find him and introduce myself to him. So you may also be a James Ellis super fan, and I can tell you that in person, he's just as kind and helpful as you think he is. He also truly wants to not only advance employer branding as a discipline, but make it accessible to all of us learners. In this previously recorded session, you'll experience that James Ellis magic as he and Bernadette from Stories talk about employer brand storytelling. Enjoy this episode. Okay, we're live. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. My name is Bernadette Van Giesen at Stories, Inc. And we host these learning sessions to talk through employee storytelling tips, insights, things that we're learning while we're uncovering stories for our amazing clients. I'm really excited to be joined by James today. James, you want to quickly introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm James Ellis. I'm the employer brand nerd. I think about, talk about, write about, do podcast about, occasionally do videos about. Employer branding is what I care about. Bernadette from Stories Inc. is fantastic. I'm super thrilled that she invited me to be a part of this. I will say, I, I think Bernadette knows this, but I think most people don't. I come from a content marketing background. So Stories Inc. has always been a company I've looked to for, okay, they get content. They, they get this idea of telling stories. It's not just in their name. It's actually in their DNA. And so I'm super excited to unpack telling stories to develop your employer brand. So let's get into it. So for any of you who have ever been in the journalism experience, the school, and I am one of those people, one of the rites of passage that is the professor assigns you the task of covering a student or a city council meeting. They say, okay, show up to a city council meeting and cover the meeting as a journalist would. Now, it is exactly as boring as you think it's going to be. Like Parks and Rec has done nothing to make it look any more interesting than they actually is. They are boring as dry old toast. However, covering the city council is a topic. You have to find something interesting inside that to turn it into a story. Why am I telling you this? Well, it's real simple because so often when we're building employer brand and recruitment marketing and recruitment messages on social media, job postings, even career sites, we're telling a topic, but we're not telling a story. And in this conversation, we're going to talk about telling a story to talk about what makes your company interesting, engaging, exciting, whatever, not by giving the topic, but by telling stories. So. Talk to me about the difference between story and topic as you see it. I think you really introduced the topic really well there with topics versus stories. And when you look at companies all around the world, a lot of them are talking about the same things in their culture. We're all human beings. We're all at work. We all experience the need for career growth, flexibility, collaboration, good people to work with, support from leadership. But these are all topics. And even if you have terrible flexibility, you still have flexibility at your company. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, every company says they're flexible in some fashion. Every company offers benefits in some fashion. So let's be specific. Are you allowed to work from home 24-7? Are you allowed to work from a beach? Or, hey, you got to be in the office three days a week. What is your concept of flexibility? Take it a step farther. Why? Why does your company decide to do that kind of flexibility? And yeah. Three years ago, yeah, everybody had to work from home when they could. The story told itself. But today, 
Why are some companies saying you have to come in the office? Why are some companies saying, you know what? This COVID thing opened our eyes. Why would anyone come to an office? You can certainly figure out how to turn that topic, in this case, you know, flexibility or work from home, into a story. Is it because working from home lets you work on your own terms? Okay, that's a good why. Is it because it allows you to be more creative? Well, that's an interesting why. Did we decide it's more productive? A valid why. Is it because now the company can attract and hire talent at a wider range of places? A completely valid why. Every one of those whys, however, tells a different story about the same topic. And that to me is where the fun part is, right? You have these topics, you're given these topics, but what's the story behind it? Because once you unpack the why, it starts to tell more about the company. All of those things that you said should hopefully be backed by the real experiences in your company. So we want to be able to recruit everywhere. Like if that's the reason why we're embracing work from home, you should be able to share stories of like, we were able to hire Jane Doe in Seattle when typically we were based on the East Coast and look at everything she was able to bring to our company during this time. So like embracing the things that are actually happening in your company that support these cultural decisions is really the type of stories that you're looking for. Yeah, we've talked about story versus topic and the importance of of really getting to that story and to that why. What advice do you have for kind of like figuring out what your story is as companies? Look, if you ask your recruiters why should someone work here, you're going to get a laundry list of good reasons. And that, I mean, laundry list is the right word. It could be a hundred different positive things. There's no Sunday scary. You feel good walking in Monday morning too. The food's really good, which is not really a compelling reason why anybody shows up to work, right? However. What is specific? What is attractive? What is different? What is real? Suddenly you're filtering that list of a hundred potential things you could talk about, those core pillar, brand pillar ideas into actual branding. So specific, attractive, different, real. It's not an arbitrary list. It's actually very important. Look, is it actually real? Do you say we like innovation or can you point to 10 different ways you care, invest in innovation, right? Every company says in, in March, they care about women. How many of them have more than the basic level of FMLA legally? That's really where you get specific. Show me the program. Show me the policy. Show me the people telling stories about these ideas. That's what I mean by specific. Attractive, meaning not everybody likes it, but to the audience you're trying to hire, is it attractive to them? How do I help someone make a choice, right? There's only 20 million businesses in North America, Right. You're not the only game in town. How does someone choose you over one of the 20 other 20 million business? So how are you different and different, not in an arbitrary way, but in a differentiated value? What's a different meaning? How does that difference mean something to a candidate? Right. The fact that you offer a vegan meal is cool, but I'm not vegan. It doesn't impact me, but it might be different and attractive to a different audience. That's kind of like my framework of saying, how do you dig into the brand? Specific, attractive, different, and real. So, and I mean, you mentioned that laundry list for recruiters. Do you think, is working with your recruiters a good place to start to kind of like figure out just even that list of topics that you might be choosing from? Absolutely. They are the keepers of the stories that have worked, the ideas that have worked. The challenge with recruiters is that they tend to be very cowboys and cowgirls, kind of going in their own direction, looking at their audiences, focusing. It's the employer brander or the recruitment marketer or the Head of TA should be looking to see how do we aggregate that knowledge, that wisdom of that one recruiter who only talked to nurses or data scientists. How do we bring that back so that that information connects to the what a recruiter who's only talking to admins or only talking to executives or only talking to salespeople? They have these 
individual data points, you need to bring them together. And then a framework lets you say, okay, of all these data points, how do you start to filter? Because filtering is really the process. Like I always joke that employer branding isn't about manufacturing something. I'm here to hold a mirror up to you, not to say you suck, but to say you have the best eyes. Let's not, let's, let's not worry about the hair, right? Let's focus on the things that are amazing about you. And that's really what the process is. Let's filter our focus. Mm-hmm. When I think that the trap there is fear of being polarizing or fear yeah. of filtering people out, which, I mean, the goal is to appeal to the audience who's yeah. going to freak out, love working at your company, like absolutely thrive in your culture. Yeah. The goal is them. Yeah. There's such a legacy fee- assum- assumption that you need a lot of applicants. And I love to bang the drum that says you e- actually need no applicants. What you're needing is hires. And those two things are not the same. To be able to equate the two. If I have lots of applicants, I'll get lots of hires. No, no, it's easy to hit the apply button and get a lot of people who you'd never want to hire. That is incredibly easy to do. Knowing who you actually want to hire, the traits, the focuses, the motivations, the skill sets, the experience, knowing who you actually want to hire is a different skill. I think most of recruiting is too focused on how do we attract the maximum number of people? Once you understand that you only need to put one body in that role, you get real specific in a hurry. That's the thing. Most people want to be broadly attractive in a Taylor Swiftian kind of way. I hate to tell you, but I have no interest in Taylor Swift. Even Taylor Swift only appeals to 10 or 20% of the audience. And she's the most popular, she and Beyonce are the most popular things I can think of right now, short of air and puppies. So even when you are broadly positive, it's still very, very specific. Well, James, I think that's the first thing I've disagreed with you on today. <laughs> Let's do it. Do it. <laughs> no, only because I am going to Taylor Swift's concert next weekend and I'm so excited. And, and you should be. But you I know hear- what? It, the way that she does everything is directly appeals to, to faith. As exactly. So, well, you know what? I actually do agree with. I, I'm 50-year-old white dude. There's nothing about my demographics that says Taylor Swiftian, and that's fine. You don't have to be broadly appealing. You have to know who your audience is. And the better you know your audience, the better you know what they care about, the better you know what, what moves them and where they live, it makes the process of hiring great people so much easier, so much cheaper. Okay, so I think we've talked a lot about Taylor looking, Swift. Taylor Swift. I mean, I, I could do talk about a topic for another day. Anyway. So talking about looking into your culture, kind of finding what makes you different, but then how do we actually make that a reality? And so something that James and our our kind of calls leading up to this that you said that really resonated with me is that what you reward is what matters. So you kind of like look to, okay, how do I bring this to life? Like, how do I find these stories? Looking to people who are getting rewarded is a great way to start. Yeah, I think, look, the company organizations are almost organisms in, in, in their own way. They respond to stimuli. And if they want to a certain thing, they reward a certain thing. If they want cutthroat, stop at nothing will win to win the sale salespeople, they reward cutthroat, stop at nothing, whatever it takes to win the sale salespeople, which means the reward structure is based on how do we get people to individually maximize their own effort. These are, you know, in companies where they say the bonus goes to whoever does the most sales. In third place is you're fired, a very Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross sort of situation. Those places breed cutthroat cultures. How do you know what the culture is? Well, what do they reward? Well, you can say that culture, you can describe that culture in any way, shape, or form. You can spin it to make it seem collaborative, to make it seem happy and friendly. But when you look at the reward structure, you say, wait, there's 40 salespeople and only one person gets a bonus. You can't tell me that's collaborative. You cannot tell me that. However, 
if you tell me that bonuses in the sales team are structured on thresholds, once the company meets a certain number, everybody gets a share of the bonus. Well, yeah, no one should be individual. They should be focused on helping each other. What you reward defines the culture, what the company is. Now, it goes beyond bonuses. It can be who got the last promotion, who got that kudos from the CEO on the all hands meeting, who gets the pat on the back, who gets the, who gets the attaboy, atta girl from the team lead. And so if you want to figure out what a company is like, figure out what they reward. And then I think, you know, passing the baton back to you, finding ways to tell stories about what the reward looks like, why it's important. That is where you start to dig into something beyond the headline, something beyond the, the tagline to say, this is what it's really like to work at the story. So back to you, how do you tell stories around the idea of, you know, what you reward and, and what your company and culture is really all about? And a question we get a lot from the brands that we work with is who should I be looking to for these stories? You know, like what kind of people should we be interviewing? And there's a lot of different advice we can give there. But the one thing is look for people who are thriving in your culture because in those people are the people who are being rewarded. They're people who are getting the pat on the back and the shout outs because those are people who culture, it works for them and they're thriving there and they are happy there and they are excelling. And so those are the people that you want to talk to. So interviewing them, uncovering their stories about what it's like to work there. And then in terms of how you do it, our stance will always be that a facilitated approach is always the best because people live in their job and they live in their company every day. So they're going to be saying things like, I love who I work with and it's a really great place to work and I'm, I love the purpose. But when you listen to that outside of the company, it's not saying anything about what it's like to work there because those same things could be said across what did you say? 20 million workplaces? 20 million businesses in North America. Yeah. So it's like that could be anyone, anywhere. And so having that facilitated interview approach allows you to say, great, can you give me an example of that? Or can you tell me the last time you celebrated something at work? You know, what was that win? What was that project that you got submitted and, and got feedback on that went really well? So kind of asking those follow-up questions is going to be what gets you to that story. And then you can dig, 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 dig from there to ask, what did that mean to you? Why, you know, why do you continue to do this? Why do you stay? And getting to that why is going to allow you to put that story together in a really compelling way. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the people who have that sense of, I, I stay because the people, and I think of, okay, in order to test that, what's the place in which people care the most about the people they work with? People working in foxholes being shot at, right? That sense of like this imminent danger that you have to rely on the people around you to survive. These are not what I would classify as exciting, wonderful workplaces, right? So that's to me, when, when the best thing you can say is we have great people, that says you have nothing else to say. Do you see anyone doing this really well? So it's complicated. And, 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 and branding is one of those things where, back to Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift does amazing branding. How would I know she's not talking to me? And when I see it, I go, it's not for me. It's not interesting to me. Thus, it must suck, right? Well, that's objectively not true, right? Her marketing, her branding, her sense of who she is, who she's speaking to is amazing. It's just not pointing to me. So it's sometimes very hard to look at a brand and say, they're great, they're bad because I'm not their target audience. So it's not always easy to say, I like this brand or I don't like this brand because it's not always speaking to me. But the first thing I look at is, is it saying something interesting? Can I look at that and say, I think I have a sense of what's behind that idea, that commercial, that ad, that job posting, that do I sense depth behind it? Or is it all veneer? Is it all just, hey, quick, put something pretty on the career site. 
that to me is where I start to say, great, if I see depth, even if it doesn't speak to me, I can see value in that depth. Say something real. There is something specifically different about your company. Talk about it. Don't shy away from it. Don't worry about whether it's attractive to everybody because it's attractive to somebody, right? The concept of going to Mars is attractive to a very particular kind of person. SpaceX is higher than all of them. Everybody else is like, no thanks. That is a strong, strong brand, despite the fact that they don't do employer branding very much. It's, a, it's what makes them different. They lean into it. They talk about that. That's how you know they have a good brand. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So picking the topic and then getting a compelling story about it that yep. makes it unique to your company. Because if it, if it truly is specific and different and, and real at your company, then someone else isn't going to be able to duplicate it because that story wouldn't happen somewhere else. Exactly. And, and, and when you know what specific and attractive different real means, you understand that there's nuance to telling a story that occurs only because it is true. And that's the power of stories right there. It opens this door to say, this is what we want to talk about. And if it's interesting and attractive to you, come on in the door and learn more. So often, People are like, just join us. We're a great company. We got this award that says we're a great place that people can work at. Can't, I won't say that other thing, right? I won't, you know, join us, hire, we're, we're, we're hiring. All this stuff that's just blanket stuff. If you're saying something interesting, the person who wants that will hear it and they start to believe it because it was true for you. You can talk about the nuance and the subtleties and the details that make it credible and real. One thing that I'll add there is to realize that the candidate journey is long and there's a lot of touch points and someone could be not even looking for a job, but they like think you're an interesting brand and they might follow you on social or they are actively looking for a job and then they're looking every single place in the world to learn more about you. And so knowing that you need to be sharing these types of stories a lot and yes. often and consistently and every single touch point is an opportunity for them to learn more about your organization. An example of one of my favorite projects that we've had at Stories Inc. is we worked with a global pharmaceutical company to activate their EVP. And their EVP was all around career opportunities. And where they felt like they were unique in the market was that while a lot of competitors were pushing people to climb the ladder, they really gave people the opportunity to become an expert in their fields or like move to a totally different department, like giving people the mobility to be able to like build the career that meant something to them personally. And so to do that, we traveled all around the world. We interviewed, I think, 50 people, different tenures, job categories, totally different career paths, and then created unique career growth stories um, for them to be able to share across all their channels. So yeah. if you were to follow them on somebody, you would see just like all of these different unique career paths. And so multiple different pieces of content that point back to that same message. Yeah. And there's two points to, to kind of take away from that. Yes. By doing all those different stories and creating all those perspectives on a single idea, you create credibility. It's not a thing you said. It's a thing you see in a 360 perspective. It's true from every angle. It's true of the entry level person to the CFO. It's true to everybody in every office, in every role, in every function. It must be true. That creates credibility. At the same time, telling stories that are not transactional, that don't lead to now apply here. Right. That's the thing. The research right now from uh, Eller Bass Institute, it's a B2B research, but I think the, the research applies equally well recruiting, is that at any given time of the total people you could hire, only about 5% are in market, meaning they're looking for a job, meaning they're on job boards, they're on LinkedIn looking at your stuff. That means there's 95% of people you 
love to hire who have no interest in most of the content and most of the materials you're producing right now. If you go to your recruiter's LinkedIn and their social, it just says, join me. No one out of market wants that. They won't hear it. It, it's, it, it has nothing to resonate with. It is completely useless to them. If instead they say, what does, going back to your company, what does perpetual career growth look like? Well, shoot, I don't know what the story is, but I'm pausing and looking at more. That's interesting to me. I'm not looking for a job, but that is legitimately interesting to me. So suddenly those kind of stories can appeal to all of these people who are not actively looking for a job so that you could put your brand in their consideration set so that by the time they do start to look for a job, you are the first company they look for. Totally agree. Are there any kind of final thoughts or anything, James, that you want to leave the audience with? I, you know, I talk about this stuff all the time. So I, I love kind of getting into this. So this is a really interesting conversation because like I said, I love content marketing, but I don't necessarily practice it to the same level you do. So I think there's value in seeing, like you think of a story and you think, oh, it's going to do X. I think stories and employer branding have multiple purposes and multiple outcomes. They can create credibility. They can extend reach to people you wouldn't normally talk to. It can lead to reinforcing culture and reinforcing the value structure. The more a candidate sees that you, that a company cares about self-development, the more they're excited by it, the more they show up. And guess what? That company now has one extra person who cares about its self-development, which means that value that you thought you espoused is actually more true. There's so many ways a story makes an impact. We do a, generally, we do a pretty bad job measuring all the different ways, but I think Having a story forward viewpoint on how to activate your employer brand is probably the most effective and ultimately least expensive way of making your brand work. And one thing that I'll add, I think we've been talking a lot about candidate facing employer brand and storytelling here, but when you share those stories internally and I mean, all four are creating brand new stories every single day, but the beautiful thing about stories is they can be repurposed. They can be shared across different mediums. You really can stretch them really far. And then by sharing them internally, you're doing that reinforcement of saying what you award. This is an awesome story about what collaboration looks like here. By amplifying that to your employees, it's reminding them like, oh, like that's a great way to collaborate. That's something that I should pursue. That's something that I should incorporate into my workflow. So it reinforces that culture, which has employee engagement, retention, like all of those things that you're looking for internally too. So yeah, really good sure. story. Totally, totally. Stories are incredibly powerful. There's a reason why, you know, cave people started becoming people when they started to tell stories, how they transferred information. It's how they transferred knowledge across generations. It's how we became people. And I think it's incredibly powerful. I don't think we spend enough time talking about it. Totally agree. Okay, James, where can everyone find you? Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for being here today. This has been fun. So if you look up Employer Brand Labs, either on the web or on LinkedIn, that's where I am. Otherwise, yeah, James Ellis on LinkedIn. It's the easiest way to do this. Bernadette Van Giesen on LinkedIn. Please follow Stories Inc. and we look forward to connecting with you in the future. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Renadette. Thanks, Stories. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening in. Head over to storiesincorporated.com for more resources, guides, and tips on growing your employee story efforts, no matter what role you're in.